Welcome to Manowaker Studios Flash Fiction Podcast. I'm C.B. Drogi. This week, Brindle by Malda Marlies. Black tomatoes are dusty purple. Redheads have hair orange as raw copper. Pink horses and blue cats are not the wildflowers their names suggest, but species of brown and gray that hint at loftier things. Names are for the color a thing should be. Thus, the black shuck of Mount Sugarloaf forgave herself for being a sunlight and ginger brindle. In all other respects, she was a grand graveyard specter, slavering of jaw and sleek of flank. The headstones of her cemetery were the merest granite memories. Beneath slept eighteen souls who by dint of their vast and hasty dying bound her to her vigil. Farms did not suit the thin Berkshire soil, particularly English farms and English ways. Those who failed to flee were left to rot under hills where they had never belonged. Older things shared those hills with the shuck, things belonging to those who once lived with the trees rather than battled them. Those spirits had little business with her, she but a dying memory of dead invaders. Mount Sugarloaf was only a lonely place for ghosts. The roads hummed any day the weather was fine, and silence fell only with the sun. Sugarloaf is a turtle's shell of a mountain. At its summit, the air is gentle, and trees grow tall. But when the wind is high, that long-diminished peak recalls former dangers. Trees topple, and the mountain screams its anger, its lost people, its ancient glaciers and volcanoes and floods. On those days the shucks slept deeply, undisturbed by even hints of the living. Until one grim morning, she rose from her torpor with a sense of duty. A black dog, black and golden dog, has more tasks than guarding the dead and forgotten. Duty carried her to a knot of humans. One was an old man, and the others were young ladies, if she recalled the distinctions right. The old man spoke of salamanders, which struck her as odd but seemed to please him. She contested nobody's newts. The dozen young ladies hunched against mizzling rain and scribbled frantically. Over two of them lay a doom. One was small and rounded. She reminded the shuck of Mercy Weil, whose comfortable beauty was sapped by children and toil until she lay beneath the sod with guilty relief. The second was tall and solid and brought none so much to mind as against Principality's smith, the farmhand who plowed fallow fields at the behest of Mrs. Mile until his quiet heart gave out, asking no more of earthly life. The shuck's duty to the doomed ladies was only to show herself, her first purpose in many years. She waited with a sense of theater that even off-color shucks are born to. When the wind rose to a crescendo, she emerged amid forest giants. She turned her small wicked eyes on the doomed that they might make their peace.
they saw her. But so did the other ladies, which struck the shuck as not quite right. She was out of practice. The dire moment stretched until one among them, a spindly one with hair like ink, pointed at her. The shuck steeled herself against a scream. Puppy! Grins blossomed on every face. She's beautiful. Look at her face. Does she have a collar? Come here, girl, come here. The shuck had never seen herself. Yet as all things real and unreal must, she knew herself, from arrowhead ears to toothful muzzle to scorching eyes. And yet every youthful face, and the old one too, smiled upon her. A new sensation shocked through her hips as her ragged stub of a tail set to wagging. One lady presented a hand, and without knowing quite why, she sniffed it. She smelled the quiet finality of mortal fate, as one might expect. Then the hand slid to scratch her ears, and she was surrounded. The doom about the first girl, the one like a young Mercy, faded as she approached the shuck. She had never seen a doom fall away. She had seen, as shucks go, relatively few dooms at all, but she recognized the peculiarity. The second doomed girl hung back shyly, alone now. Around her the hand of fate tightened, the doom darker still for her solitude. The brindled shuck had never known a doom to fail, but in so knowing her phantom heart would break to see one fulfilled. With one weapon left to her, she threw her head back and howled. The howl of the black dog brings men to their knees and tumbles church spires. The shuck mourned her moment of unfamiliar gentleness. Gasps followed, and giggles. Oh, you are such a big, tough girl. She's a fierce pupper. The tall girl's face cracked into a smile, and she stepped forward and the wind tore down a true monarch of the woods, a tree that had seen the shuck's graveyard small and new. Its crash stove in the earth where the girl had been. That frightened them. The shuck faded among their shouts and the old man's hurried instructions. The shuck had known centuries of certainty, but now she had a tail that wagged and a tongue that lolled. She had bones beneath the cold earth, but likewise scratches behind the ears. She knew what a doom deferred might be. She reached her cemetery and stopped. There stood every soul that belonged to the stones. Mercy and her children, most never more than babes, and her husband and his first wife and their children, and against principalities. Mercy knelt before her and cupped her muzzle. With her ghostly tongue, she spoke. Good girl. And then they were gone. And the cemetery, only bones. The brindled shuck howled once more and turned her nose toward the young ladies. They were piled into one of the horseless things that carried people to and from Mount Sugarloaf. But neither speed nor distance matter much to a hound with a duty.
This has been Brindle, written by Malda Marlies. Manowaker Studios' Flash Fiction Podcast is supported by patrons on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash manowaker to find out more. The Flash Fiction Podcast theme song is by Kevin McLeod. Manowaker Studios' director of Dice is Ben Baston. The podcast is produced, edited, and narrated by me, C.B. Derogi. Thanks for listening.